You don't have, later, there it goes, ah. One of these days we're gonna get one with a, like a foot pedal that kind of jacks it up. Like in a barber shop, like in a barber shop. exactly. <laughs> I don't go to a barber shop, so it's hard to remember. As a kid, I used to go to the barber shop. Our uh, second reading this morning is from First uh, John chapter two. It's uh, in your bulletins for you. There was a verse that was supposed to be read uh, in our first reading. I'm going to read that verse to you. This is Matthew chapter twenty-four, verse thirty-five. Jesus speaking. Jesus says, "The whole world, the earth." the sky will be destroyed, but my words will last forever. Okay, that was part of the, the, the reading there. Now, so uh, in our uh, gospel reading this morning, we have Jesus talking about his second coming. And then in our second reading this morning from uh, uh, John's first epistle, we have uh, the apostle John also speaking about the second coming as well. So Keep that in mind. We read, do not love this evil world or the things in it. If you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. This is all there is in the world. Wanting to please our sinful selves, wanting the sinful things we see, and being too proud of what we have. But none of these come from the Father. They come from the world. The world is passing away and all the things that people want in the world are passing away. But whoever does what God wants will live forever. My dear children, the end is near. You have heard that the enemy of Christ is coming, and now many enemies of Christ are already here. So we know the end is near. These enemies were in our group, but they left us. They did not really belong with us. If they were really part of our group, they would have stayed with us, but they left. This shows that none of them really belonged with us. You have a gift from the whole, that the Holy Spirit gave you so that you all know the truth. Do you think that I'm writing you this letter because you do not know the truth? No, I'm writing because you do know the truth and you know that no lie comes from the truth. So who is the liar? It is the one who says that Jesus is not the Messiah. Whoever says that, is the enemy of Christ, the one who does not believe in the Father or in his Son. Whoever does not believe in the Son does not have the Father, but whoever accepts the Son has the Father too. Be sure that you continue to follow the teaching you heard from the beginning. If you do that, you will always be in the Son and in the Father. And this is what the Son promised us eternal life. I'm writing this letter about those who are trying to lead you in the wrong way. Christ gave you a special gift. You still have this gift in you 
So you do not need anyone to teach you. The gift he gave you teaches you about everything. It is a true gift, not a false one. So continue to live in Christ as his gift taught you. Yes, my dear children, live in him. If we do this, we can be without fear on the day when Christ comes. We will not need to hide and be ashamed when he comes. You know that Christ always did what was right. So you know that all those who do what is right are God's children. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, you are the maker of heaven and earth, and you are the founder of this church. You have promised that the gates of hell will never prevail against your church, and so we rest confident that we will be in you and with you now and forevermore. You promised that you would be wherever two or more are gathered in your name, and so we welcome you here in Huntington Valley. We pray that you would uh, be pleased uh, by the worship of our heart and our lips uh, this morning. We pray as well that you would teach us in your proclaimed word. We thank you for speaking uh, with the apostles about what was coming in the future. We thank you for filling uh, the apostle John with your Holy Spirit so he could explain things a little bit more. We pray that you, by the power of your spirit, would be present in this preaching here this morning. We pray that your truth would fly straight and true and that it would find its mark. Lord, we pray for those of our number who are not able to be here this morning because of distance or because of sickness. We pray that you would minister to them each in their own place. Lord, for those who are estranged from the church for uh, any reason, we pray that you would convict them and bring them back into the fellowship. Lord, forgive us uh, for being negligent of your Sabbath. Continue to encourage your church to gather each week to sing your praises and to be built up as we uh, meet one another face to face. Lord, we do pray for those of our number who are sick this day, and we pray that you would strengthen their body and that you would heal them. We pray for Joan Clover, and we pray that uh, the effects of COVID uh, in her body would quickly pass, that she would quickly feel like herself again. We pray for Rich Good, and we ask that you would also bring him through this COVID infection. We pray for Naomi Trask and uh, her cancer treatments. We pray that you would make her strong uh, during this time of chemotherapy. We pray that you would uh, heal her body, that you would remove the cancer from her body. We pray that you would uh, encourage her spirit as she faces uh, the, the grueling treatment. We pray as well for her family who worry about her and care for her and are bearing an extra burden during this time. We pray that you would strengthen them and encourage them uh, in their family responsibilities. Father God, we uh, pray that you would continue to make this church a place where your 
unchanging truth is proclaimed year after year. I pray that you would keep us faithful to what it is that the apostles taught us so long ago. I pray that you would use this church to bless many people. I pray that you would continue to strengthen and encourage us and bless us as we seek to bless others. Look with us, look upon us with favor this day. These prayers we pray in the name of Jesus who taught us all to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. I think the Matthew chapter 24 passage is familiar uh, to all of you. It's uh, one of the places in the Gospels where Jesus gives a, a pretty full explanation of what's going to happen at the end of time, what's going to happen uh, when, when uh, Christ uh, returns. Um, what goes on immediately prior to this passage is Jesus is in the temple courts as he often was and he's teaching and he's walking out of the temple courts, I guess to go back into the city, maybe to go get lunch or something like that. And uh, uh, he, he mentions that, you know, this temple that we're walking near, that one day uh, it's all going to come down. And that not one stone will be left on top of another stone. Now, I don't know how that strikes you. I don't know what the modern equivalent would be for the temple falling. I think maybe something close would have been what we saw on 9-11 and watching the Twin Towers come down, these signs of power and strength of our culture. The temple was the center of the nation. It was the worship headquarters. There was the understanding that God was actually present in the Holy of Holies. In the temple was the Ark of the Covenant. The actual tablets on which the Ten Commandments were written were there. And it was all going to be obliterated. The center of our identity as a nation, the center of our identity as the people of God, Jesus is saying is going to be utterly destroyed, and then they walk off. Now, a little later, they regather, and the apostles approach Jesus privately. It's just Jesus and the 12, and they want they want. They want some explanation. What do you mean the temple's going to be destroyed? How's this going to happen? When's this going to happen? And then Jesus begins to teach, and that's, that's part of what we read here this morning. Now, in our reading this morning, uh, Jesus' uh, description of what happens at the end of time is actually very long, and we kind of took some highlights uh, of it to, so that we wouldn't be here all day reading. Um, but I would encourage you, when you go home, to Read again Matthew chapter 25 uh, to get a picture of what the end of time on earth will be like. 
If you want to know what the judgment is going to be like, what's going to happen uh, when we finally stand before Jesus, then Matthew, the, the following chapter, Matthew chapter 25, would be the one to read. So maybe you want to read Matthew chapter 24 and Matthew chapter 25 when you uh, return home uh, this afternoon. Jesus is teaching about what happens at the end of time and uh, there are a number of kind of terrible warnings that are offered here. There are talks, uh, you know, there's talking about uh, uh, wars and rumors of wars. There's talking about famines and there's talking about earthquakes. And notice that Jesus' response to these upheavals We see it in verse 6. Jesus' response to these upheavals is, do not be afraid. Now, I don't know if we live in a more alarmist time than ever, but it seems to me that people spend an awful lot of time being upset and afraid about what's going on in the world. The world can be going to hell in a handbasket and Jesus' word is still, do not be afraid. Partly this is the case because this world is not our world. We are citizens of a new world that we're waiting to be delivered. Our home is not here, and so what's transpiring here should not be our greatest concern or our biggest worry. In verse 14, we have the good news. There's a lot of bad news about what's happening at the end of time, but there's good news as well. The good news is uh, that the gospel will be shared to all parts of the earth. There are going to be wars and rumors of wars. There's going to be earthquakes. There's going to be, there's going to be famines. People are going to be arrested and handed over and punished and killed because of their faith in Jesus Christ. But the whole world is going to learn the gospel. Everyone will have heard. And so there's bad news and there's good news. But the underlying note in all of this is we're not to be afraid in all of these circumstances. In John, in First John, this is written. I don't know, forty years, fifty years after the ascension of Jesus. We have the continued teaching of the church regarding the second coming. Okay, one of the things that uh, the, the church has always taught. Actually, let's do this right now. Pull out your pull out your Bibles. Uh, not the Bibles, these red books. What are they called? Hymnals. Pull out your hymnal. Open it up to the front cover. And then stand and join with me as we confess what we believe as Christians using the words of the Apostles' Creed. Please stand with me. I have to read it from here because my memory's not so good. Some of you have this memorized. Okay. We'll know who the, the good Christians are. <laughs> I, Please join me in the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. 
The third day he rose again from the dead, he ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Throughout its history, the church has taken time to uh, write these kinds of creedal statements, statements of faith. The Apostles' Creed, of course, is the earliest one that we have. It was a way of encapsulating the core truths of the church. I mean, the Bible's big, it's complicated, it says a lot of different things, but there are certain things in there that we absolutely have to stand on and have to agree upon. And as a church that's an Apostles' Creed church, we, we affirm all of these things in here. With regard to Jesus Christ, absolutely essential is that we believe that Jesus was conceived supernaturally. That Mary was a virgin, okay? She, and, and, and the birth of Jesus is a supernatural birth. There are people, you know, beginning in the early 20th century, you know, who thought this was unscientific. We can't believe this anymore. This is just a metaphor or this is just some kind of mythology. The church always has and always will continue to believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. We also believe that he was crucified, that he died, and that he was raised from the dead. And that Jesus' resurrection is not a metaphorical resurrection, uh, it's not a spiritual resurrection, it's literally his body, it was dead, and then it stopped being dead. All right. Uh, now, again, there are, there are certain Christians beginning in the early 20th century who wanted to walk back from this. Well, you know, this, is, this is a little too weird and supernatural. We don't think that dead bodies come back to life. This is really a metaphor about spiritual rebirth or that Jesus lives on in our memory. This is not what the church teaches. The church has always taught that Jesus was dead and that Jesus stopped being dead. He ascends into heaven bodily, okay, not a myth, not a metaphor. His body left the earth and went into whatever that other dimension is that we call heaven. We don't really understand it, but he left this dimension and went to this other place in his body, not in his spirit, but in his body. And then here's what I want to talk about is, is that from that place, he's going to return. The church has always taught from the earliest days that Jesus will be back, not just as a spirit, but in his body, in his resurrected, glorified body, that Jesus would come back to the earth. And what's he going to come back to the earth to do? To judge the quick and the dead. Raise your hand if you're quick. That just means alive, okay? It's old-fashioned. Okay, some of us are less quick than others, but yeah, so he's going to judge the living and the dead, all right? He's going to come back here. When Jesus comes back, there's going to be a lot of people living on the earth. There's going to be a judgment for them, but guess who else is going to get judged? The dead people too. Now, if the dead people are going to be judged, what's going to have to happen to them first? They have to be resurrected too, all right? So when Jesus returns, there's also a general resurrection, Okay, everybody gets resurrected. 
the Christians and the non-Christians. They're all resurrected, and they're resurrected to stand judgment before King Jesus who has returned. All right. Now, some if you if you read uh, Matthew chapter twenty-five, uh, Jesus talks about what that judgment's going to be like. He talks about us separating the sheep from the goats. Okay, so uh, he's going to go down the row. Okay, you're with me. You're not with me. You're with me. You're not with me. All right. Every single person who has ever lived will face that. Will face that judgment. The church has always taught this. This is a core. Christian truth, and so we continue uh, to we continue to proclaim it today. It's interesting reading the letter uh, from John because now he's writing he's writing you know maybe forty years later uh, after Jesus, and the church is continuing uh, to 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 uh, proclaim uh, uh, the second coming of Christ. He's partly talking about it here because he's concerned that the people that he's, that he's writing to are too wrapped up in the things of this world. Look at how that passage begins. Do not love this evil world or the things in it if you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. And then he describes what that looks like. Here are the things that are in the world. Wanting to please our sinful selves. Wanting the sinful things we see. And being too proud of what we have. If we're too involved in the world, that's what we're mixed up in. Why is it that we shouldn't be mixed up in that stuff? Well, because it's passing away. The world is going to, when Jesus returns, this world is going away. Now, we have to recognize that the physical universe that we see and that we admire has a, will, have, will only last a certain time. It had a beginning in time. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and then time started. There's no time before Genesis 1-1. They're in eternity. Okay, time starts, and God has already planned out the number of days that the universe is going to last. I don't know how long it'll be, but it'll last a certain amount of time, and then there's going to be a last day of this universe. Jesus will return, last day, it's all going to be wiped away. Okay, now there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Those of us who are in Christ will then spend eternity in the new heaven and in the new earth. Our permanent home is in a city called New Jerusalem, and it's going to be on the new earth. We're going to be living in our bodies. They're, they're going to be you know, fully uh, rejuvenated and restored. They're going to be your best body ever. Okay, uh, My hair will be back uh, in the new Jerusalem. Okay, this is, this is what's going to happen. And, and we will live in our physical bodies uh, in the new Jerusalem. But this world that we currently see around us, this sanctuary, this town of Huntington Valley, uh, the United States of America, planet Earth, will go away. It, 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 it will be gone. Okay? Which is why we should not be too attached to it which is why we can appreciate it while it's here, but we shouldn't be too in love with it. The world is passing away, and all the things that people want in the world are passing away. Jesus talked about laying up treasures in heaven. 
If you're a this world kind of person, you're laying up treasures for yourself here. You're laying up wealth and accomplishment and fame and prestige. And Jesus said, well, there's a problem with that because all of those things are going to rust and the moths are going to corrupt it and eventually it'll be just a pile of, uh, a pile of dirt. Rather, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Okay? So we, as Christians, are always looking beyond this world. We live in this world while we're here. We're pilgrims while we're here, but we're preparing for another world. Now, while we are not to love this world, I do think that we are called to bless this world. When the children of Israel were living in exile in Babylon, they were enslaved in Babylon for 70 years, the word of the Lord came to them through the prophet and said, you know, plant your vineyards, prosper while you're here, and bless those who are around you. So while we're in this world, uh, you know, we want to care for we want to care for this world and care for the people who are around us. But it's not all that there is. One of the things that I find sad when I meet people who are not believers is that for them, this world is everything, and as a result. Anything that happens in this world, they take incredibly seriously. I think it's the case that religion has become an alternative, that, that politics has become an alternative religion to Christianity increasingly in the United States. If you're not a believer, if you don't believe in God, then it does make sense that politics would be your religion, your highest value, because politics is about how do we order human society uh, in the best possible way. And that's, that's a big good. If there is no God, that has to be your God. And for a lot of people, their party has become their religion and their leaders have become their Messiah. We need to be very, very, very careful about this. There is no man or woman who will run for office who is your savior or who is the savior of this country. Jesus is the savior, all right? So for those who are non-believers... The things in this world are all that there is. And so when things get haywire in this world or when things go badly in their lives, they're devastated. They're crushed. But for those of us who live in that larger reality and we realize that this world is passing away, it makes it possible for us to take this world with a grain of salt, to not take it too seriously, and to endure the suffering of this world without being afraid because we know that Christ is coming again. Now, how is it that we can be prepared for the coming of, of Christ? Well, first of all, I want to go back to Matthew 24, verse 42. That would be the last verse in the Matthew reading. Take a look at that verse with me. So always be ready. You do not know the day when the Lord will come. Always be ready. You do not know when the day of the Lord will come. There, Jesus is going to appear in the clouds one day. Could be Thursday. Could be, we don't know. But one day he's going to show up. And 
we want to be ready for that day. We, we don't want to be embarrassed on that day. Take a look at 1 John 2, 28. My dear children, live in Christ. If we live in Christ, we can be without fear on the day when Christ comes again. A lot of people are going to be terrified out of their minds when Jesus comes. I mean, you think that Jesus is sweet and mild. When he's coming back, he is coming as the king of the universe. He's not coming as a baby anymore. Okay, He's coming with a sword of justice in his hand, and the world is going to be terrified when he shows up, except for those who are in Christ. The day of the Lord that Jesus talks about and that John talks about is an idea that appears many, many times in the Old Testament, maybe a hundred times the day of the Lord. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Zephaniah, Zechariah, and Malachi, all of these prophets talk about the coming day of the Lord. Now, I don't, you know, the, the day of the Lord is a fearful time because it's a coming day of judgment. Because God is a God who's given the law and then uh, God has promised to judge the world. That judgment of the world is going to come on the day of the Lord. Here's what Isaiah says. Wail for the day of the Lord is near. Destruction from the Almighty will come. The day of the Lord comes with wrath and fierce anger to make the land desolate and to destroy the sinners in it. If you think that it's going to be sweetness and niceness when Jesus shows up, you haven't read the Bible. All right, it's going to be a day of terror. Remember that we are instructed to not take vengeance on someone who has done us wrong. Everyone in this room has been done wrong by someone. There have been terrible things that have happened in this world. There have been terrible injustices in the history of humankind. And God says that vengeance belongs to him. When's that vengeance coming? On the day of the Lord. Okay, Jesus is going to return in the clouds. The angels are going to be there. He, everybody in the world is going to see him. All of the dead are going to rise and they're going to be judged. And there's a lot of people who are going to be screaming in terror on that day. Okay. What's the hope for us? Well, the hope for us is to be in Christ. If we live in him, we can be without fear on the day when Christ comes again. Why is it that we would be afraid of Christ, the judge? Because God will execute his wrath and his vengeance against any sin, and everyone in this room is a sinner. The only way that we are able to stand in front of the judge without fear is if we have a clean record, okay? If there's no sin on our record. The problem is all of us have got a whole lot of sins on our record. So by faith in Jesus Christ, the blood of Christ is applied to our sins and we're washed clean. And the perfect record of Christ's own righteousness is given to us as robes. And so we stand wrapped up in the robes of Christ. 
I can stand before the judge, not because I've been a good person. I can stand before the judge because by faith in Jesus Christ, I've been united to Christ and his righteousness becomes mine. When we stand before Christ in righteousness, it's not our righteousness. It's a borrowed righteousness from Christ. Our sins have been removed and a righteousness has been given to us. That's the only way that we're able to stand before Christ without fear on that day. You need to think about what that day is going to be like for you. Every one of us is going to face that day of judgment. Are you ready? Are you in a state of grace? Are you ready to meet Jesus, the one who executes justice? The only way to be ready for that day is to have repented of your sins, turned to Christ, asked for forgiveness, and pled for his mercy. Okay, that, that's our only hope. Um, and I'm, I'm hoping that you've done it. Now, let me talk to you about one final thing, and this has to do uh, with the teaching of the church. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 24 and 25, we read this. Be sure that you continue to follow the teaching you heard from the beginning. If you do that, you will always be in the Son and in the Father. Well, what's the teaching that we've heard from the beginning? Well, that's what Jesus taught to the apostles. It's what's summed up in the Apostles' Creed. The apostles then taught other Christians. You and I are, I don't know, we're 100th generation Christians. Somebody, somebody taught us the gospel and somebody taught them the gospel and somebody taught them the gospel and somebody taught them the gospel. I heard it from my grandmother. And my grandmother identifies Pastor Whitehead as the person who brought her to faith. Now, I don't know who Pastor Whitehead knew, but someone in Pastor Whitehead's life brought the gospel to him. It goes all the way back to the apostles. The teaching of the church must always be the teaching of the apostles. We don't improve on it. We don't make it up new. We don't modernize it, all right? What, the, what Jesus taught the apostles, what's captured for us in the Apostles' Creed, we just keep teaching it again to the next generation, to the next generation, and to the next generation. Be sure that you continue to follow the teachings you heard from the beginning. If you do that, you will always be in the Son and in the Father. And here's the promise. And this is what the Son promised us, eternal life. Faith in Jesus Christ is the difference between heaven and hell, all right? There are some people who cling to this weird idea that, you know, after death you get another chance. The Bible never says that. We need to get right with God in this life. And then when we die, we have no fear. Immediately upon death, we'll be transported into the presence of God those of us who are in Christ will be received as beloved children and, and then the party starts. Those of us who have not repented of our sins will be cast into outer darkness. Okay, This is the word of the Lord for us today. Let us pray. Father God, we love you and we adore you. We thank you for sending your son into the world to save us. We thank you for his instruction about the end times and what that was going to be like. Lord, I pray that we would uh, welcome that day without fear, that 
by faith in Jesus Christ, we would feel secure uh, in our salvation. I pray that, 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 that security would allow us to live well and joyfully here in this life. Lord, I pray that we would continue to share that gospel with other people who are still outside of the fold. I pray that you would have mercy upon those in our families who have not yet repented uh, and professed faith in Jesus Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Would you please stand with me 